Weekly Neurosis. This is the Outlaw episode. Badass theme. Outlaw. Outlaws. Just breaking rules. But uh, welcome in. Uh, as we said before, this is the Outlaw episode. Just a quick overview. We're going to be uh, reviewing the movie The Hateful Eight. Quentin Tar- Tarantino's eighth or ninth? Eighth. Film? He, yeah, because th- uh, he considers Kill Bill 1 and 2 to be one mm-hmm. movie. So but That'd be like a six-hour movie. Yeah. I'd yeah. watch it. I mean, I'd, I'd, like... I'd do it. And then uh, for our album of the week, we have Chris Stapleton's uh, album Traveler, which is his debut album as well. Uh, it's up already won a few awards, and it's up for some big ones as well. We'll talk about that later. But uh, right now, let's let's crack these beers, man. What is it? What is this beer? This is a Saga IPA. If I could figure out how to open the bottle. From Summit from Brewing. Summit Brewing Company in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they are actually I found out the 31st largest brewery in these United States of America. Over 240,000 barrels of beer per year. Um, but yeah, this is their IPA. They also have an English um, pale ale, which is their extra pale ale. That's supposedly the the most popular beer in the Twin Cities area. Oh, it's been okay. voted number one a few times in a row, but. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is the outlaw episode. Yeah, we're gonna talk about a country album, a little bit of a change of pace, which is good. That's a pretty big, um, pretty big adjustment. Yeah. From where we've been. And we'll we'll cover it. I'm not the biggest country fan, but uh, nah. maybe this is good. Maybe. Country's country's coming around, man. Could be. But anyhow, uh, outlaw by definition is a noun. It's a person who has broken the law, especially one who remains at large or is a fugitive. Ethan, what does outlaw mean to you? It's, a, it's another word where, at first glance, I assume bad things. I assume a rough, rugged lawbreaker. But I think a lot of times in country, um, western movies and stuff, an outlaw can be kind of the anti-hero and stuff. But when I think an outlaw, somebody who's kind of badass, you know, works outside of the law and isn't necessarily a good person or isn't necessarily a bad person, can kind of go either way. Yeah, for me, I think it, it kind of conjures... Uh... Like history and fiction. That's what I think about. Because there's outlaws that have been through history, like train robbers and bank robbers and, famous and gangsters. Yeah, very famous people. And then also kind of fiction, because we kind of glorify yeah. outlaws in American culture. Yeah. And a lot of times when you read about these people, people's lives, and I've read a, a lot of biographies of like train robbers and stuff, they always they always kind of didn't have the best life. Like the reason they got into crime was because of. They didn't really couldn't do anything else, you know, and they had usually bad upbringings that made it feel okay for them to do this stuff. Yeah, that's why I kind of conjured the idea of sure an outlaw can certainly be a villain or somebody evil who's doing bad things, but uh, yeah, they. I mean, you you are who your environment made you to be for the most part, so so you aren't necessarily bad. It's just how you are, and if you break laws and you're a little rough around the edges, hey, you could end up an outlaw, maybe. 
Yeah. If you got the guts for it. If, if you can do it. Partner. You get me? <laughs> I was thinking of the outlaw Josie Wales, too. Oh, yeah. I always think of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. The one of the longest movie <laughs> titles. Good movie though. I That's a really it. good movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Great, great film. So, um, kind of to move on to some some high priority news items. And a, a bit from last week, we talked very briefly about with um, Game of Thrones if the book or the season would start first, and which one was going to come out. Well, it's been officially. Um, determined that season six of Game of Thrones will be out before the release of George R. R. Martin's uh, book, meaning the show will essentially spoil his upcoming book. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, I, I don't think it yeah. really will. But because I think this has been speculated for a while that maybe this would happen, and I know he's he's stressed. George Martin has stressed that he's been struggling finishing it. Not necessarily, according to him, that he doesn't know what to do next but because he's just been so busy and now he's such a famous person that it's kind of been stalling up his time with writing with writing it. But I've also heard rumblings that the book is going to be significantly different from the show, which kind of makes me concerned that he doesn't actually know what he wants to do with this story. Yeah, and people are, like, at least that I read some, like, comments on the articles, they were like, you know, what the hell, this and that, but these are, like, massively long books. Mm -hmm. I don't think very many people realize that. I mean... The Game of Thrones, or a Game of Thrones, was the shortest of 694 pages to date. A Dance with Dragons, the most recent, was the, also the longest at over 1,000 pages. And he said both the, of the next two, uh, The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, are going to be in excess of 1,500 pages. So you can't just crank these things out overnight. No, and that kind of, hearing those page numbers puts it into perspective. Because, I mean, you think fantasy novels you think i think the first thing a lot of people think of is lord of the rings mm -hmm. and all three of those books combined which were originally written as one book that's only a thousand pages yeah for for so one of these books is longer than lord of the rings that really shows how much he's putting into this and, and uh, this isn't the only fantasy series that does that but that's also why it takes so long to to adapt these there's just so much to figure out what do you put in what don't you put in right and these i mean they're just massive um Clash of Kings, 678, Storm of Two Swords, 973, and A Feast of Crows, 976. That's awesome. That is. How long would it take you like, to read that, though? I think it depends. I, I, I'm reading another fantasy series called The Wheel of Time by a guy named Robert Jordan. And those books average like eight or 900 pages long. And it, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on word count, really, and the mm -hmm. size of the font and the text, but... Man, it depends on how fast you read. I think for me personally, a book a thousand pages, if I read like an hour or two a day, would take me a couple weeks probably, a month or two. You average between, I usually average, and I only read for like 30 to 40 minutes at a time, I, mm -hmm. I average like around 30 to 40 pages. Mm -hmm. Right around if it's like, unless it's like teeny tiny print. Sure, but, sure. Yeah, just massive. But we also talked kind of off air too that he doesn't really, I don't think he really knows what he wants to do. And... I said, too, that normally authors will know their page count prior to going to editing mm -hmm. and kind of that. So I think he's kind of questioning how he wants to ultimately end this series. And Could be. What do you think What do you think about the ending of Game of Thrones? Future future prediction. I don't know. I don't, I'm not optimistic about it. I don't think it's... I, I think he's really spinning his tires. And it's not just that it's taking him a long time to write this next book. It's taking him a really, really long time to mm -hmm. write this book. And he's talked a little shit in interviews and stuff before about other 
shows and, and books and stuff not having great endings. And I think he better have something spectacular here because I'm kind of, I'm getting a little anxious. I want to kind of see what happens next. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess my, my expectations aren't very high, but I, there, there aren't very many series, I guess, that actually do end on a high note. No, I can't really think of very many. I can't either. The ending and ending a show is probably a TV show, let alone a book. So it's tough. It is you know, tough. It's a tough business. And so. I think, uh, and it, you know, and even if the ending is weak, I don't think we should let that take away from the rest of it. Because I think people do get a little bit hooked up on how shows or movies end. And they let that take away from what they saw previously to that. So we'll see. I mean, because I've loved Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind of in the same note. I mean, my favorite TV show of all time, The Sopranos mediocre ending at best yeah, and sure. i don't let that take away from the series because it was an amazing series you have to look at yeah. it like you said well it's like my favorite show of all time is lost and there's a lot of controversy about the about final episode ending, yeah. and i i personally loved how it ended but there are a lot of people who hate it and you know now look negatively at all six seasons of that and i don't think that's the right way to go about things no 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 so the other thing um we we're going to talk about is the very publicized now docu-series on Netflix called Making a Murderer. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this podcast that are not from Wisconsin, uh, this docu-series takes place around here, where you basically grew up. Yeah, it takes place in Manitowoc mainly because that's where <laughs> the murderer and everything happened, but I grew up in this, the city of Chilton, which is actually where the trial took place because they didn't want to have the trial in Manitowoc County, uh, I believe for fear of there being jury bias, so they had it in the neighboring county of Calumet County. So literally the courthouse where all this stuff happened was, I could see it from my parents' window to this day, and I was in high school when all this stuff was happening. So I kind of have a uniquely close connection with the story. So seeing it in the, the national headlines, once again, has been kind of interesting, kind of scary though. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely some, some wild um, opinions. I should say very, people, people think that he's uh, innocent. There's a change.org has generated a petition that has over uh, 300,000 signatures and another petition asking uh, President Obama for a pardon has reached 100,000 signatures. Um, I, I think people aren't looking at the whole picture necessarily. I think if you are going to have an opinion like that, you should read the case file and kind of look into yeah. all well, the details. And I think the show does make a case for him being innocent, but... You always have to take a step back with any any show, even if it is a documentary style show, and kind of be like, well, okay, this is. I mean, you can never fit the entire picture. Life is too complex to fit the entire picture into even a ten part series, and for some people to just assume that the guy is innocent without looking more into the case, I can tell you now, having grown up in the area and having some connections with some of the people who are in the documentary, uh, I can tell you that there is quite a bit more to the story than they show, but. Uh, there are some major questions raised by it, and it's definitely a case that should be looked at much closer. It is definitely a situation that I think was what was not handled correctly uh, mm -hmm. when it first was happening. Yeah, and to touch on what you said about kind of how the docu-series lays it out, I, I run into this a lot with the TV show Vice on HBO, as people always watch an episode of Vice, and they're like, Oh my God! You know the the world's ending, but that's one lens looking at an issue at an angle that they see as kind of the way of the world. But um, 
again, just make sure you get all the facts and, and look into it. The, definitely watch the, the show, it's, it's extremely interesting. It's really, really good, and it really does, it makes you question things. And I know growing up in such a small town, I mean, there's when I was growing up at Chilton, there was less than 3,000 people there. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks it's this safe, happy neighborhood where nothing bad happens, but... I don't care where you live. Yeah, it's, the stuff is everywhere. Yeah, and that's what's really kind of scary about it. And knowing that he might be innocent, and so much evidence might have been forged and things twisted, it's kind of scary. It's it's really freaky knowing that this could really happen to anybody. It could. It's interesting. It definitely could. Yeah, good series. I think it's gained a lot of traction because Serial, the podcast, mm -hmm. is just dying in its second season for the most part. This is definitely getting a lot of comparisons yeah. to that. Yeah, I can see why too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, anyhow, we're going to take a brief break, but um, just to give you um, a quick uh, quick kind of re-go re over stuff that took way too long to describe. This is the <laughs> this is the outlaw episode. The re-go over the of The re-go over of items that we've already known. But uh, we're going to be next reviewing the um, the new film, uh, The Hateful Eight, Quentin Tar Tarantino's new movie. At the breaks, you will be hearing music from Chris Stapleton's album, The Traveler, Weekly Neurosis. We will be right back. You're as strawberry wine. You're as warm as a glass of brandy. And honey, I stay strong. Yeast. So it makes beer, man. Yeah. Welcome back into uh, Weekly Neurosis, the Outlaw episode. And to go with our theme, we saw the movie The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino. Ethan, take it away. All right, so the plot of this movie is pretty simple. Uh, in the dead of a Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhibited, inhabited rather, by a collection of nefarious characters. Uh, this is a movie with a pretty enormous cast, including Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Walt, Walter Goggins, Damian Bashir, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and Bruce Dern. Uh, written and directed, of course, by the famous Quentin Tarantino. Music by, uh, I probably won't pronounce this right, Ennio Morricone, mm -hmm. who has been Tarantino's composer for a while. And yes, he's been scoring Western composers for three decades at least. Uh, and cinematography by Robert Richardson, and special effects were done by Greg Nick... Nicotero. Nicotero, thank you. For all you Walking Dead fans out there, the movie was filmed in Southwest, in the Southwest in the United States at the Schmidt Ranch near Telluride, Telluride, Colorado. Why can't they name these places easier? I don't know. Which is a 900-acre property in total. Principal photography commenced on December 8th, 2014. And yes, this film was done on 65mm film using an Ultra Panavision 70, which, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading this, I'm reading this word for word, which uh, Tarantino, per Tarantino, was done with the same lenses used as Ben-Hur and was, was filmed with in 1959. Yeah, this is a... Which is nuts. It's a, it's a, in, for all intents and purposes, this is a dead format. Yeah. I mean, movies very rarely get made on this film stock anymore, and for a movie to get shot on film... Is ridiculous, but we can talk about the use of 70 millimeter in this because I have some choice words. Mm. But uh, so uh, yeah, highly anticipated movie, Very. epic movie, Quentin Tarantino movie. What did you think? 
Well, I mean, it, it's long. First off, it's a very long movie. For those of you that go to see it, you'll realize that. But it, we talked about this off air. It kept me entertained. Um, the characters, as per usual with Quentin Tarantino, were great. Um, it was written well. Um, and I also liked that you felt it felt somewhat authentic. The characters did. Um, the timepiece as well. Um, but it just, it reminded me, my, and my big negative, and we'll get to this later, is that it just reminded me, as, in terms of a story, not going to spoil anything, but of Reservoir Dogs. Sure. In terms of the way that the, you know, the story arced, as they, they say. Well, you can tell that just by the trailer. Yeah. I mean, that he's, he's clearly drawing from his own films for this, I think. Yeah, oh, definitely. But overall, <clears throat> I thought it was a good movie. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, before I go too far into it, overall, I really did like this movie, but I think I should start by saying that this is a Quentin Tarantino movie and unfortunately for Tarantino that's a high uh, pedestal to be on so I'm expecting greatness from him which isn't necessarily fair but that's just kind of how it is and while I liked this movie I liked how big and epic the movie was even though the story itself was kind of small I love the dialogue I love the characters I appreciated how much was going on but despite liking most of it I just felt like this movie was totally all over the place and it was the first time I've seen a Quentin Tarantino movie where I didn't walk away having any feeling of catharsis or just a spine-tingling feeling of greatness. I kind of walked away from this kind of shrugging my shoulder going like, eh, I don't know what the point of that was. Yeah, and there were a couple, I want to say like entire scenes that I felt like if they would have gotten rid of it, it probably would have been okay. Like, I mean, it might have interrupted the story ever so slightly and maybe you would have missed something on the back end, but... Just a lot of just meaningless dialogue, kind of prolonged shot. It, it just, they made it intentionally long, is what, at least what I felt like. Well, I agree, but the, and the weird thing about it is, is while so much of what was going on felt like padding, and it ultimately, having seen the whole movie, it wasn't essential to the story, but I still liked what I was seeing. Like, I was still very much entertained by the dialogue, even though a lot of it was kind of just there for no reason. They introduced characters, reintroduced them later, and maybe watching it again it'll maybe be less entertaining I feel but despite it being so long I, I was entertained by it but I'm afraid that like I just said watching it again won't be a great experience I feel like there was just a lot thrown at the wall to see what stuck and it was kind of scattershot yeah because I really had some issues with especially the last half of the movie was yeah that was really confusing for me too and I think its hand in the beginning is is kind of shrouded in this mystery. You're kind of mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's going on, and that was really the hand that he kind of dealt with. It was kind of a who done it, yeah, in a lot type, of ways. like a mystery kind of thing. But then it it becomes just this kind of mess. Yeah. And they didn't really. I didn't feel like they ended it necessarily all that well. But then no. you know, you going in, and we we talked about this too. Going into it, you already know what you're getting, kind of with Quentin Tarantino, ballpark. You know, sure. in his past movies, everyone usually dies. Maybe there's one person left or, or something like that, but they're usually not in a very good state. Mm -hmm. So you kind of knew that all along, but even still, I, I felt like there was just a lot of ways to dialogue and throughout that, the film. Right, and that's kind of one of the issues I had with it. This was, again, one of the first times watching a Tarantino movie that I really felt like he was drawing so much from his own influences that, that I just felt like he was kind of spinning his wheels creatively here. 
But again, I enjoyed what I was seeing. It was hilarious. Mm -hmm. The characters were fantastic, and I would have rewatched this just on the merit of seeing them interact again and maybe hopefully picking out some more stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But I just felt that with this entire mystery element going on, there wasn't a lot of payoff. No, there wasn't. The, I mean, again, he, he does really good with his actors, and Samuel L. Jackson, was, I thought, was excellent. I thought he was the best Head, in this. Yeah. yeah. Head and For shoulders. Sure. Kurt Russell was good... Mm -hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee is just kind of there. She still plays that part well, but there's a lot of hype for her to win some awards for her performance. And while I, I was I, I was kind of not too sure about that at first, I think by the end she has a couple of really key scenes near the end of the movie where I was kind of blown away by her. But it was almost too little, too late. The movie's so long that by the time we get to the end, I was just kind of exhausted, and it was predictable enough where I wasn't really swept up with it. Yeah. And, and going back to the characters, while they were all good characters. This was the first time in a Tarantino movie where there weren't necessarily any good guys or bad guys. And maybe that was the point here. But as a result, I wasn't rooting for anybody. So when there's these scenes where I think he meant you to be rooting for a certain character to succeed or to fail, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. So mm -hmm. that's going to happen here. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's just... I don't know. It just like I think if they would have made it a two-hour film... It pro probably would have been better, but then mm -hmm. again, even still, you, right. you kind of leave hating every everybody <laughs> in the whole film. Which I think was maybe the point, but yeah, it's hard to say because I agree that this would have been, I think, way more effective if it was shorter. But if it was shorter, you take out a lot of the dialogue and everything, which well, I enjoyed but wasn't essential. And also, if you make it shorter and kind of cut to the bare bones here, you'd really just have Reservoir Dogs. So why Basically. don't just go and watch that? Yeah. I'm really conflicted about this movie. I haven't felt this way about a movie in a long time, just because I can't quite place my finger on it. Yeah, well, there's certain parts of it, the the core competencies of a film, it was there and it was good. You know, oh, absolutely. There's just so much extra stuff that's kind of piled on top of it that I'm in the same boat, man. I, I don't really know. Well, I, I, I have to say, I probably recommend that people see it, just not rush oh. out to see it. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's especially if you like Tarantino, you're gonna yeah, well, you're gonna you're, love this you're movie. Eat it up. And it, d despite me, this probably being my least favorite of his movies, I still, if this is the worst he can do, I mean, that's saying something. Because, like you said, the core of what's going on here and all of the technical elements are tip top. But this was the first time where I just felt a little bit kind of confused as to what the point was, and if he was going for more of a straightforward B-movie spaghetti western. It could have been shorter, but he throws in all of these American race relation issues and these these sexism issues, and there was a dramatic thriller, but then it turns into a splatter movie. It just seemed like it was a little bit too much piled on top, mm -hmm. um, and it didn't quite blend together. And to kind of speak on the special effects, I mean, they were somewhat typical for him but it, there's some stuff that he was over the top <laughs> yeah which is kind of greg greg nicotero who does the special effects for the walking dead it, it's kind of par for the course with him but sure but you know okay so we mentioned this movie was made in 70 millimeter right mm -hmm. i kind of take issue with that okay i think it's great that he's reviving a dead medium he's using actual film and everything but this movie takes place entirely indoors there's a lot of close-ups and everything, and I think if you're going to use 70 millimeter, this isn't the movie for it. Yeah, it's too intimate and 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 quiet and closed in of a movie to to celebrate 70 millimeter. While I appreciate the effort, it just seemed like a gimmick to me. Yeah, and it looked the movie was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It just there wasn't enough for me to be like, really, you had to 
you had to spend all that money on big film? Yeah, I just, I don't know. It seemed kind of pointless to me. It did. I mean, it's not, I don't know, I wouldn't say that emphasized or improved the film by any extent. And I, I don't know, like you said, I think it was just a gimmick to get maybe a, lot, a little bit more hype than what was, sure. already, was already there. I thought... The cinematography though was was pretty solid. It was well shot. The, mu the music was great. The music was good. And, mm -hmm. You know he's he's got, Anisio Morricone has definitely got that genre kind of set. But yeah, I, I just I didn't get where he wanted to go with this at all. Yeah. Like normally even with like really confusing movies that that I've seen I kind of get where they're going. Even this I was this I just. Yeah. No clue. I, I want to watch it again because I feel like maybe I was missing something, but I'm also afraid to watch it again because I just don't think that knowing how this plays out that it will it'll work as well in a second viewing. Because everything in the whole beginning, the whole first, what, hour and a half or so, is built on that... Mystery. Like, you have no clue what's going on. You have no idea who anybody is. And the payoff here isn't the kind of payoff where... Not like something like Fight Club or The Sixth Sense where, where you know what's going on and there's not like a twist in this movie or anything But with those are the kind of movies where when you know how it ends It's fun to watch them again because you pick stuff out and this was a the mystery and the whodunit type element But it, there was no revelation that made me go. Oh my god. That's crazy. It was kind of like oh Okay, I see mm -hmm. what's going on here. It just left me a little cold. Yeah, no, you know no pun intended. No, yeah which it was the, throughout the film, they kind of made you want to. I have to say to survive that in those times would have been hell. Yeah, like whiskey, cold, whiskey and fire. Just get drunk and have a fire, I guess. <laughs> but I have to, and you you comment on it. Michael Madsen looks like hammered garbage. Like he. Man, I don't know. I didn't say that. You said he, that. Uh, I don't know. He's I thought just, he looked okay. Not really compared to like if you look at him. But in, that's in his other character. Stuff. His character in this was. You know, this rugged guy, he sounded like he was cho choking on gravel the whole movie. <laughs> That's kind of how he sounded the whole time. And he's this badass, I mean, these are all outlaw Western yeah, Civil War dudes. Tough guys. Yeah, I thought he fit. I guess he fit. He just looked, when you look at him, in my opinion of him, in Reservoir Dogs, he was at like, he was oh, still okay. like a, somewhat in shape. And then you see him in Kill Bill and he's kind of this chubbier version of himself in Reservoir Dogs. Then you see him in this, and like every shot, he's looking up at the camera. I was like, okay, you're trying to get rid of his, his like triple, quadruple chin or whatever. Wow. <laughs> but he, he had, he, he's, he's, I get the feeling he lived a fast life. Let's just That's put okay, it that way. What would you score this movie? Uh, you know, I said a lot of negative things about it, but I gotta stress that overall, I liked watching this. I thought it was fun, but uh, I just had too many issues with it to, to think it's really great. But I think people should see it. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. The lowest score I think I could give any Quentin Tarantino movie. Hmm. But I still liked it, and I'm hoping it gets better on second. Was it your least favorite Tarantino movie released yet, though, to date? Possibly ever, since this might be his last one. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, of, yeah. All, of all of his movies, I think this was the one I enjoyed the least. <laughs> I liked it. I know a lot of people don't like Death Proof, but I at least feel like that one was being honest about what it was. And this one was kind of like... Ooh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a dramatic thriller. Now I'm gonna be a splatter gore film. Now I'm gonna be a silly western. Now I'm gonna say something about race relations in America. And it was at the end. I was kind of like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, here. it was all over the place. Um, I'd be roughly in the same boat. I gave it a seven point four okay. at the end because I just again though I would encourage everyone to see it 
Like, I don't want people... I'm not going to say, like, oh, don't go see this movie. It's a piece of shit. Like, I'm not going to say that. I think we should definitely stress the fact... It's a good movie. Yes. It's It'll, a good movie, and it's a... Again, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, so the the, the, the pedestal we have this dude on... Is major. It's, it's major. But it, at its minimum, and at a film's minimum, it should entertain you. Yeah. You know, that's the point. That's why people go to the theaters and eat popcorn sure. and... And th this movie did that. It keeps you interested. Yeah, I'm just afraid in rewatches it won't be as Quite entertaining. Yeah, but I there, I mean, it's it is so long that there's going to be a lot of dialogue that you forget about. So maybe that works to its strength. It's always fun to rewatch Tarantino movies because his movies usually have a very high level, excuse me, of rewatchability. Mm -hmm. So I think I've seen Reservoir Dogs like 40, way more than that. I've seen like yeah, Pulp Fiction. I've seen like I've seen that a lot. So too. many times I could watch that over and over again. I think I watched Reservoir Dogs for some fucking reason like three times in a day. That's, I have no dude, idea why. Dude, you know me. I watch Days Confused like every Nonstop. other day. That's like the best. On repeat. Yeah. There's is there, been... What? Is there a setting for DVD, like Blu-ray players that you can just watch it like on <laughs> No, there loop? should be. Damn it. There should. Ugh. But yeah. So 7.8. Or 7.4. 6.5. Yeah. Kind of a disappointment. Kind of, that's, that's lower for what we've laid out so far. Yeah. I think that's what I gave... Jurassic World, which is kind of weird to think that I put this at the same level as Jurassic World, just... <sighs> I could talk for an hour about this movie. I just, it is all over the place. It really just was. It kind of bums me out, but hey, you know, he's got, I, other, he's in, got other movies to watch. And you've commented on that stunt girl is casted in this movie. <laughs> Zoe Bell? Ugh. Yeah. I She's not very you. good. I agree with you. So... Basically, we've been talking, and in, in this time of year, um, Ethan and I have basically been in blitz mode in terms of watching films. 2016, brand new year. Mm -hmm. This is our first show of 2016. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that yeah, until just cool. now. That's exciting. But a um, whole bunch of movies set to come out. Anyone, and I have a list here on our, our little uh, script deal. Any movies you're excited to see? Um. Well, I mean, Deadpool comes out February 12th. That looks great. I'm a fan of T.J. Miller. He's in there. <laughs> uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. While I don't think the trailers for that have been very good, I'm still excited to see it. I can't help it. I love Batman. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Conjuring 2, I like the first one of those a lot. Finding Dory. I mean, Pixar, I think, had a pretty decent year uh, this last year with Inside Out. And uh, I love Finding Nemo um, for personal reasons and otherwise. Love that movie. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely excited for the new Star Wars movie at the end of the year, but man, who knows? I'm sure most of the movies by the end of the year will be movies I don't even know exist as of right now. Yeah. I know, doesn't Terrence, Terrence Malick's new movie, Night of Cups? Night of Cups. That comes out... March. In March. Which, uh, if you know Terrence Malick, either love him or hate him, I love every one of his movies. Looks like a total mind smash, at least from the trailers that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really, he works in a league of his own, and it's easy to label him as a quote-unquote pretentious filmmaker, but I would rather a filmmaker be quote-unquote pretentious and do what they want to do versus doing what audiences tell him to do. I'm glad we have people like him. Mm -hmm. I could talk about Malik forever. I love him. Yeah. And that movie looks fantastic. And I guarantee I love it. I guarantee it's my favorite movie of next year. <laughs> Indeed. Every time, he, every time he makes a movie, it's my favorite movie of the year. I mean, it just is. I yeah. love him. And to date, he gave me the best, in my opinion, the best and funniest film-watching moment I've had in my life which is in Tree of Life. <laughs> I watched it for the second time. Or no, the first time. It was the first time I watched it. And I had been out drinking, and I decided to put this movie in. And I fell asleep partway through. Bad idea. And, like, it's... 
there's a lot going on. And then all of a sudden I woke up and there was like dinosaurs on the screen. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, like what's going on here? It was just crazy. But he, he's, I think his movies are fantastic. He just, he's in a genre of his own. Like I don't know how to pinpoint his movies. You call them art movies if you want, but mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it before. He, no. oh, it looks great. So yeah, Knight of Cups and that's night as in knight in shining armor, mm -hmm. not black as night or dark as night. Yeah. Yeah, and Cops. the new X Men movie due out. Sure, yeah, that'll be good. that'll be big. Uh, the Conjuring too. I know the Conjuring was a, a big hit. Is, uh, do you know if uh, what's his face James Wan is directing that? Who did the first one? I, I think, should have looked. I think he is. I didn't. I would assume because his last movie was Furious Seven, mm -hmm. and he had the whole debacle of uh, Paul Walker dying on him halfway through filming, and that was his first major budgeted uh, action movie, and I think it kind of freaked him out a little bit having to deal with that. But uh, either way, I'm excited for Conjuring 2. I'm a big horror movie buff, and uh, I like them. Yeah. So. And then the new, of course, Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Do you oh, have... and of course, yeah, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. That's the Harry Potter spinoff. I believe the script is actually written by, um, uh, why can't I remember, the, uh, Rowling, J.K. Rowling. She actually wrote the script and everything oh, really? for that. And I know it's based on In the Harry Potter World, if you're familiar with it. One of the, I believe it's one of the textbooks or history books that the students read is called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and it's about and it's about an American wizard, and I think that's what this movie is based on. Mm -hmm. And there's a teaser trailer out for it. It looks pretty fun. It's got uh, Eddie Redmayne in it, so that Solid. looks cool too. I'm a, I'm a Harry Potter fan, so I gotta check that out, of course, too. And all the gamers are gonna be excited about Assassin's Creed. Michael Fassbender. Michael is a Very Fassbender. interesting. Very inter I don't. I don't know that there's. A, I think there's. A tra I don't know if there's a trailer. There isn't. I know I there's, there's a picture a, that surfaced of him like in mm -hmm. his makeup. I'm putting my hands to my face. That's just so weird because I don't think there's ever been a legitimately good video game adaptation. There's. I like the Resident Evil movies. I know they're terrible and stupid, but I love them. Yep. Uh, the first Silent Hill movie I enjoyed quite a bit. So maybe this will be the one. When you get a name like Michael Fassbender, you almost gotta assume that it's gonna be pretty good. Mm hmm. One would have to assume, but one really highly anticipated movie that the trailer just came out for is Girl on the Train, um, which has Emily Blunt, who was in Sicario, which we reviewed on our first? Mm -hmm. Was that our first episode? Did we, did we publish that one? Or is that not? That might be... The secret one. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> but we, we saw her in that, and in that movie, um, as you may have already heard or will hear for hundreds of dollars, because we'll sell it. No, we won't. <laughs> But um, what are you talking about? But she she's like in Sicario. She's really mentally Emily Blunt, a distraught person in that. And apparently, in an in an interview, she said that she put a lot more into this girl on a train film that it was really challenging for her. Uh, the director Tate Taylor, uh, he didn't really match words. He said, "You can't avoid the puns with this movie. She's a train wreck." Hmm. And if you, I, I I personally haven't read the book. My my mother uh, has read the book and told me about it, and she's. Apparently, I think this is the perfect casting. I really don't know much about it, but yeah. uh, I mean, for, from the trailer and, you know, I like Emily Blunt, I'm there. Yeah. So, I mean, in hearing that she's really given it her all, that's that's a recipe for her. She, feel, she seems like an Oscar winner in the future to me. I know she's been nominated <clears throat> in the past before, but uh, she's a fantastic actress, yeah. uh, Emily Blunt. She's on the rise, and so is uh, from Brooklyn. Say, oh man. C.R.C. Ronan, I think you call her. Seisha? Isn't it pronounced Seisha? C.R.C. C.R.C. 
We've said it in five different ways. She was awesome in that She's movie. Really good. She might win the Oscar for that. There's she there's could. word on the street the the Golden Globes are this weekend and she just might win that. Yeah. And I'd be happy with it. She was awesome in that movie. I've liked her in almost everything I've seen her in. She's young too. So far, yeah. She's like twenty one. Um, she was in Hannah, which was great. Uh, Atonement. She was a kid in that, and she was nominated. Lovely Bones. Lovely Bones. I she was really good. At I didn't it. care for that, but yeah. she was good in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's she's great, and I I thought she was the best she's ever been in Brooklyn. Yep. Is a is an Irish uh, a recent Irish immigrant to Brooklyn in the nineteen fifties. It's kind of a romance movie. Mm -hmm. Thought it was really good though. Romance drama. Yep. Gotta show some love for that genre. Um, lastly, George Lucas. We, we've touched on it before, but he made some off-color remarks about Star Wars. Yep. Here he doesn't like it. Yeah. He called the he called Disney white slavers and said he thought the retro approach to the new movie was kind of a stab in the back to his movies. and. <sighs> yeah. I think this was inevitable, though. Yeah. Like, he didn't, he didn't have full control. J.J. Abrams and Disney were kind of doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But like, come on, just, you know? Well, the, what we were kind of saying before was that he, the last time he made Star Wars movies, they did not go over well. Yeah. And I think I mentioned this before, I personally think there are really great things in the prequel Star Wars movies, and really the core of what he was doing was great, but he just kind of lost his mind. He, he had so much creative control that there was nobody to say no to, and he just didn't put things in the right perspective, and as a result, we have these movies that are already super dated, have pretty much terrible acting, and just, they don't really feel like they're in the same universe, even mm -hmm. though I, I think what he's doing at the core is great. So for him to come out and say all this after Disney gave him all this money, and the movie's been so well received, it, it's, it just kind of seems like, just shut up, dude, you had your chance, you blew it, and man, people love the movie, I'm sorry you don't, but that doesn't, I just don't think he has the right to come out and say that. Yeah, and just take his, we've, we talked about it off, maybe off air and on air too, about his approach to the first three movies, and I'd, I'd read a ton of articles and interviews, and it's like, he, he was kind of in his own mind, and yeah, he was doing his own little thing. And just his, his emphasis was all on creating the worlds digitally and everything, and mm -hmm. while I, I have to commend the guy for being the first guy to really do that, but I just don't think, since he didn't have anybody else to work on, the, the results really aren't that super great. And while I personally could watch all the, the I mean, I grew up with the prequel movies. Mm -hmm. I really do love them, but, you know, as an older person now who watches a ton of movies, I mean, there's a lot of problems with them. Yep. And, and while I do, I do, I do agree that it's, <laughs> it's fair to say that this new movie may have been a little bit more of an ode to the originals than it had to be necessarily. I don't think it really hurt the movie at all. I think it was a good starting place for new characters. We talked about this in our review, and I just think that he, like he said in his interview, he went into this, seeing this new movie through the eyes that I created this world, this is all mine, and oh, you know, this, these, aren't, this, these are my kids, and seeing somebody else mess with them kind of hurts. But then the, interviewer, the guy who interviewed him asked, well, you sold your kids? I just think that puts it into perspective. Lucas just, he, he's, he's upset about it. I think there's a little bit of jealousy there, and... Yeah, I don't know. I think he should just cool it because it's a great, great movie. It is, yeah. It's and keeping Star Wars alive. It's introducing him to a whole new generation. Yeah, really is. J.J. Abrams and that he has a team of people behind him did a did a wonderful, wonderful job. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so now we'll go on to our weekly segment by the numbers, uh, where we go over the top five grossing films in the United States at this current moment. 
and occasionally the unfortunate flops that do occur in cinema from time to time. So, you want to take it? Top, top, top dog. Sure. We're starting at number one? Yeah. Okay, so number one, again, no surprise, is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, it's weekly gross, $90 million, and that's on the third week of release, bringing its uh, North American total to about $742 million. But as of today, as of today, the movie has, uh, of the day of this recording, it has crossed over $760 million, making it the highest grossing movie in North American history. Yeah, it was like just, just there. After only, just a little bit less than four weeks. So, I mean, a phenomenal success story. I think the jury's still out on whether it's going to be the number one worldwide. It hasn't opened in China yet. But, I mean, this movie's making crazy money. Crazy. Crazy money. So, number two, then, is uh, the Will Ferrell... Mark Wahlberg comedy Daddy's Home, which brought in $29 million, bringing its total gross up to $93 million on a $50 million budget. Doing good. Doing really well, yep. I think it's, a, like we had mentioned last week, it's not everybody's a nerd, not everybody's into Star Wars and science fiction, and I think, uh, you know, a comedy is a good, good movie for people, other people to go see. So. And I think, too, with, with specifically Will Ferrell, because I just watched his movie, uh, unfortunately, Get Hard, with uh, it was oh. him and Kevin Hart, mm -hmm. and the thing is, you laugh, you know, you, it's it's inevitable, and it's and a one year out the other though, kind of, huh? Yeah, yeah. kind of that kind of deal. All right, so number three then as the Hateful Eight with fifteen million dollars uh, total gross of twenty nine million on a budget of forty four million. Now it may it kind of seems low that it's number three, but. If you look at the per the change percentage here, because one of the things they do at the box office is say how much the percentage dropped or increased from the week prior. This movie had an increase of 240%, mainly because this week this movie had been out for a couple weeks already in limited release. Yeah, and it just got opened in about 20, just over almost 2,400 theaters right. that it so, opened up in. So while it's made less than $30 million, I think this is, in the long run, is going to do just fine. Mm -hmm. You have to keep in mind it's super long, so they can't show the movie as many times. We still have Star Wars dominating screens, and and, and Hate Flight is R-rated, which can always be a little bit of yep. a detriment. But, uh, you know, I think it's doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Okay, so number four, then, is Sisters, which made $12 million this last week with a total of $62 million and a budget of $30 million. So it's doing really well. Comedy. Yeah, more comedy. Doing well this time of year. Mm-hmm, sure. And then number five, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip, that made $12 million with a total of $67 million on a $90 million budget. How did it have a... Oh, I suppose graphics, because it's all... Is it all graphics? There's real people in it. Yeah, there? Jason Lee's in there, I think. Yeah. Ugh. Well, it's... I don't... I don't know. Just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just not for me. I should I should be fair. Like it just doesn't interest me. I think it would, I it would potentially be a good movie for for kids. And again, maybe that's good alternate viewing for, you know, a family wants to go to the movies, but they don't want to take their three year old to see a bunch of crazy dudes with lightsabers cutting each other's heads off. Yeah, you don't want to true. take them to that. So that's I, true. I can see the appeal if you're, you know, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, and then um, again, we talked about it last week. Point Break, definite flop alert. They're Oof. at. 22 million gross on a 105 million dollar budget internationally not doing much better oh just unbelievable like i just don't we talked about it before though what were they thinking releasing that now yeah just don't, i don't get it oh well terrible enjoy your favorite film haven't seen it yet man haven't oh. seen it 
Got picked up in 28 theaters. 28 theaters chose to, to pick that film up. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's by the numbers. Again, Star Wars for a third straight week. You had, what was your prediction last week? I think it'll go at least one more week at number one. Probably what, two. What would over The Revenant, but oh, I... Yeah. Again, super long, R-rated, hardcore movie. Yeah. Leo is a big draw, though. So we'll see. I think we'll see Star Wars at number one and The Revenant at, potentially at number two. Mm-hmm. But Daddy's Home is doing really well, so we'll see. Yeah. And I'm not sure how many theaters are picking up The Revenant, so... That's true. There's it's going to be factors. around here. Yep. Mm-hmm. At both, I think both of our major theaters. Yes. But uh, when we come back, we will review Chris Stapleton's uh, album, his debut album, Traveler. Again, very highly touted in terms of the award circuit. Weekly Neurosis, Outlaw. We'll be right back. Street lights along the highway Throwing shadows in the dark And the memories keep on turning To the rhythm of a prayer Weekly Neurosis, welcome back to the Outlaw episode. I hope we're not breaking any laws right now. I don't think we are. Get sued. The worst you can do is get sued for like cop. Well, you just get a cease and desist. You don't get sued. I guess. So for what? Know. For music? Like if you, yeah, if you like, or if you illegally what? used like some image or something. We're not doing that. We're man. not doing any of that. Somebody telling us. Nobody. Please don't. No, this is the Outlaw episode. So the album of the week this week is Chris Stapleton's uh, debut album, uh, Traveler. Uh, Chris Stapleton, he's more recently known as a country artist, but uh, he's actually known for his songwriting abilities. He's uh, written a total of six um, number one hits, and he's been credited with writing over 150 songs. Uh, Some of the names you might recognize, Adele, Luke Bryan, Tim McGraw, Brad Paisley, Dirks Bentley, and he's also co-written with Vince Gill, Peter Frampton, and Cheryl Crow as well. Um, this album peaked at, at number one shortly after he did his performance with Justin Timberlake at the CMA Awards. That's kind of inevitable. Um, but he was floating right around the top 20. He was still doing good. Um, he's already won four CMA Awards for Best Male Vocalist, New Artist of the Year, Album of the Year, and Breakout Artist of the Year. And he's now nominated for four Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year, Best Country Album, Best Country Solo Performance, and Best Country Song. Yeah. So, Ethan, Traveler. So, not a, not a, generally not a country fan. Me neither. I should say, though, I'm not a fan of modern country, but I should further say I don't really listen to a lot of it. Because every time I hear it, it all sounds the same to me. I don't like the deep twangy vocals and the kind of generic country crooning and instrumentals and it all kind of sounds just dull to me. Uh, but this was a dude who, after the whole CMA thing went down and I saw the videos of him performing there, I was kind of surprised with it. So I was jacked to hear this and this was surprisingly really good uh, for, for a country album. And not even just for a country album, I think it is a legitimately really solid album. And I think what makes him stand out from contemporary country artists is, are his vocals. He's a he's more of a raspy, vocal type guy uh, 
who he doesn't have that deep, clear, twangy thing that just sounds so boring to me. This dude has passion. He's got a huge range as a singer. He's a loud singer. He hits all the notes and he's just earnest and I believe it. And, and thankfully, the majority of the songs in this album are range from good to a couple of great songs and there was only one or two that I didn't really care for. So overall, I liked this a lot. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I think at the end of the day, it was really simple. Mm -hmm. It was a very simple album. I think to kind of step back into my music snob seat, I think a lot of country is massively overproduced. That's where you get those those twangy vocals and the you know the just the same four elements in every single song. This was just a straight country album. This is what mm -hmm. I, I've kind of I, I kind of grew up a little bit with country, Merle Haggard and <clears throat> stuff like that. And it, it's just that stuff's just flat out. That's what it is. And he, he laid it out, but there's something that's just, the simple elements add up to make this amazing album. Right. I think it all kind of, it, it, it added up. I think he used Southern Rock and um, the duets to me mm -hmm. really made, that's what kind of added that extra element. Sure, and yeah, I agree with you when you say that the, just the sound of the album is more earnest and it just sounds more organic because he's not doing just this country rock sound. He's throwing in some folk elements in bluegrass and definitely some Southern Rock uh, elements in some of the different songs here and there's really only a couple songs that I would think from a sound standard sound like a contemporary country track but even those I enjoyed just because I felt like I believed him I you know I was along for the ride even though his lyrics are pretty typical country lots of talk about whiskey and and, and, and heartbreak and stuff like that, but I felt honest and that, I think the fact that he's a little bit older of a guy for a quote-unquote new artist helps that because this guy's 37 and this is his first album mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty interesting yeah and he's been writing songs but it, this took you through the whole album kind of took you through a lot of different sounds like mm -hmm. i was really thrown off by sometimes i cry which was a blue a legit blues song mm -hmm. and that that really threw me kind of kind of off but yeah no i mean, not in a bad way but that was like whoa this guy's taking this all over the place but yeah, I, I I really liked most of it. I think I really one or two tracks like you same probably same boat as you. Yeah, uh, to go through some of the, my favorite songs in here, definitely Tennessee Whiskey, mm. kind of a, just a great song to turn up. And then uh, I think maybe my favorite song in here though, uh, I believe it's called Was It Twenty Six, which was more of kind of a rough and a rugged type saw song, which ties into our outlaw theme, where I just got that sense of this dude who had kind of been living this shady kind of half-life in a way where he'd been drinking a lot maybe doing some illegal stuff and he when he, as he was singing the song he clearly couldn't recall even if he was 25 or 26 years old i really liked that and i thought it was it was my favorite song in the album i thought it kind of nailed all of my favorite elements that are on this thing yeah and that was actually a cover that he did mm -hmm. for charlie uh, charlie daniels cover mm -hmm. i like that i liked parachute too that was to me that's that was like my favorite song yep. of the album that was one of the longer songs too yep. and there was on that song and one other one near the end i can't remember the there name was like six minutes yeah there was another one where it almost had almost like a psychedelic rock couple of heady moments to it which was really interesting how i wasn't expecting in a contemporary country album to hear something like that mm -hmm. but uh, you know at the same time i, I like this album and, and i think all the songwriting is good but i do think for the most part, I do think it's pretty conventional in a lot of ways. Even with it having all these cool elements in it, I think for the most part, if I want to compare it to other southern rock or country albums that I really like, 
this one doesn't necessarily stand out in an exceptional way outside of his vocals to me. Mm. And I think as a result, well, the first two or three times I listened to this album, I was really like, holy crap, it's so cool to hear a modern dude do stuff like this. But the more I listened to it, I was like, okay. So, I mean, it's it's shocking because there's not many dudes doing stuff like this. But it's 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 also really not doing anything super fantastic. But mm-hmm. that shouldn't take away from it because this is good front to back. Again, except for a couple songs, which they're not even bad. Mm-hmm. So, the first two songs in the album I kind of thought were a little weak, but it picks right up after that. Yeah. I think, like you said, cover to cover, and I, I just like I said, I, Southern the Southern rock. Without the Southern rock and the duets, I think this is a horrible album. I really, mm-hmm. I think it's just it would just be plain, front to back. But it, it that really added an element that kind of added to it. The sure. duets kind of reminded me of the movie. Um, what is that called? Once. Oh sure, the the yeah, British musical. Yeah, kind of that that okay. kind of. You know, some of it reminded me of uh, the, the the alternative country artist Ryan Adams, not Brian Adams, Ryan Adams. Uh, to make things some of it, I mean, he he does a lot of country oriented music as well, and uh, some of the duets reminded me of some of the songs in his first album, Gold. So that was actually really nice because it, I mean, this is the whole country thing is kind of a world I'm not familiar with. So to get some of those familiar elements, it was pretty inviting, and yeah, they sounded great together for mm-hmm. sure and that's his wife too which is even more incredible yeah that's awesome but yeah so what would you grade this well uh 7.5 out of 10 because again well i think it's it's most of the songs are great his vocals are awesome and it's cool to hear somebody is kind of noticeable as him doing more of an earnest country southern rock sound i do think at the end of the day it's kind of conventional a lot of ways especially with his lyrics while i believed his lyrics more than i would somebody else with a different vocal style, I do kind of think that I don't relate to a lot of what he's saying. <laughs> so, 7.5 out of 10 for me. I really liked it, but I didn't love it. Okay. And I had actually had an 8.6. Wow. And the reason was is that, for me, it brought me back to where country was. Because about 20 years ago is when we went to... It's called the Garth Brooks Turn, mm-hmm. which is when he kind of turned into this artist that all they sang about was beer, pickups, and love. And that was pretty much it. And this is kind of a step in the right direction at a pretty high level, in my opinion. Sure. Um, so I had to grade it at, at an 8.6. Yeah, I just, I think after my first couple listens, I would have agreed with you. But afterwards, there was a couple songs that were really, I like, I was totally into it. But after, again, after listening to it a couple, especially the first two songs on the album, I was just kind of like, eh, I could give or take either of these. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was really good overall. I would, I, I hope to pick this up on vinyl someday because this was a solid album for sure. Yeah, and just to kind of touch on the country uh, theme, just in general. I've been reading a lot about uh, just the the genre in general, kind of taking a turn in the right direction. And him and Casey Musgraves, Jason Isbell, and um, Sturgill Simpson are some artists that are kind of flipping the genre back to where it used to be. Yeah. Versus the uh, the contemporary stuff that we've been getting as of late. Sure, but, I was I was gonna say Sturgill Simpson is another guy who yeah, is good. is outstanding, and he he he's even more I think kind of out there. He does more of the psychedelic <laughs> kind of stuff, and the more he's even more stripped down than Chris Stapleton. I think it's way more to the kind of single chugging guitar and drummer kind of stuff versus having more of the elaborate instrumentation in the back. Yeah. Good stuff. 
And J- Jason Isbell gets looped in on this, but he's a, what, the, a new Americana genre. And he was in a band, wasn't he? He was. Um, I don't remember who he was in, but he's newly a solo artist because he was in another pretty popular group for a while. I don't. I haven't listened to his music. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I listened about to it. his debut album literally one one time, and okay. I, I mean it's it's good. It's song. It's to me more songwriter. So he's than country. country. He's country Americana. He oh, okay. really. He's right on that borderline. And Eric Church gets kind of lumped into that group as well. He was actually performing in Madison the last time I was there. He performs in Wisconsin a lot. And he was like hanging out outside the the theater in downtown Madison. <laughs> but um, moving on to some, some fairly sad news. We didn't cover this last week, but um, Ian Lemmy, um, Kil- Kilmister? Kilmeister, yeah. Kilmeister of, of Motorhead, unfortunately... Uh, passed away on December 28th, 2015. Age 70. So this is sad. I'm bummed out because I love Motorhead. Lemmy is a, you know, music music legend. But the dude was 70, and this dude was burning the candle at both ends with a freaking torch. This dude was an alcoholic, a known drug user, and he has probably had sex with like 3,000 women in his life. The fact that he made it to 70 is worthy of celebration, I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 sad though because he was just one of those guys who just seemed invincible, but man, he I mean they, they, I think he the last time I saw an interview with him he straight up said, my doctor said if I quit drinking I'll die because I'm my body's so dependent on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so man, it's it's a bummer, but I can't say I was overly surprised when I saw the headline. I suppose. Yeah, and this this conjures a memory. I think it was like three years back I saw a concert footage, m- movie of them performing in Germany somewhere. And they, they, he was, like, rocking out. Like, mm-hmm. he looked, did not look his age at all. He was, like, into it, yeah. jamming out. But I I think that metal fans and music fans in general are going to miss him. Because yeah. Motorhead was so essential. I mean, everybody knows Ace of Spades, the mm-hmm. song. I mean, that's one of the more popular metal songs ever. And he was just kind of the face of it. He was he was a famous dude. He was he was he hung out with his fans. He was known as being an easygoing guy who would party with you. Yeah, it's a bummer. It is. And yeah, it's it's been crazy the headlines of all these artists reflecting on his his career. Yeah. But R.I.P. Lemmy. And now on to something that I think we're both pretty pretty jacked about. I wouldn't say obsessed with, but. David Bowie's new new album Black Star. It's due out on December eighth, or just oh my god, January January eighth would have been cool <laughs> if it would have been out then. Um, but sixty eight years old, brand new album. I listened to the one single. You've listened to it. Awesome. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. It's a ten minute long jazz whackout experimental song, and. I mean, I'm a big David Bowie fan, and his last studio album came out like two or three years ago, and it was called The Next Day, and that was kind of more of a return to his, not necessarily his earliest albums, but as a singer-songwriter, more of a song-oriented kind of experimental pop kind of thing, but this song is wacky. He's never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love this song, and I'm pumped to hear this whole album. Yeah, definitely, and it's um, the the critics are just going gaga right now. A lot of people are saying it's a masterpiece, but he's such just to me, he's such an interesting person. He's right. sixty eight. He's had this bizarre life. He's married to a former supermodel, Iman, mm-hmm. who herself is a very odd person. Right. So he's just a very unique 
person. I'll probably be listening to this album on Friday yeah, when it comes out. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of cool to hear this the song Black Star, the title track in this album is so weird and some of the reactions to it from maybe younger people or people who are more familiar with his most popular work are kind of confused and they're like, what is this? I've never heard anything this wacky before. But to me, the dude is 68 years old. He's got nothing to prove anymore. He's done yeah. it all. He's released 20 or something, probably more than 20 studio albums, and he's covered different genres, and he's got nothing to prove. He's going to do his own thing, and he, right now he wants to experiment and do something different and do it. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I think, too, I read one review that they were like, I'm just surprised he'd release something so iconic, and it's like he's written so many, like, quintessential Americans and British because he's, he's from England, but he's written so many, like, essential songs. He wrote my uh, favorite song of all time, Life on Mars. Yeah. It's my favorite song ever. And that's just, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Yep. Do-do-do, where are we? 2015. 2015. So Rock Docs. Yes. They made a comeback, apparently. 2012 yeah. to 2014 was just horrid. 2015, the year of the Rock Doc. Yeah. Well, I guess there was two that I really liked this year because, like you said, there's been a lot that's come out. And the two that really stick out to me are Amy, mm -hmm. the one about Amy Winehouse, and Montage of Heck about Kurt Cobain. Two movies that really dig into the people they're covering. And a lot of rock documentaries tend to be kind of fluffy or sometimes just be kind of a fluffy celebration of the artist. But I thought Amy and Montage of Heck were movies that really showed you stuff that you didn't know before. Mm. And were really creative in how the, they, they showed it to you. Yeah. And my, my two favorites were um, What Happened, Miss Simone about Nina Simone, which sure. again, really dug into Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. But she's been someone I've been really curious about forever because she's influenced a lot of the modern hip-hop, or not modern, but the hip-hop that I grew up listening to. She was kind of a kind of a far-out-there jazzy singer yep. and did some things that were kind of outside of the norm in her day. And uh, a bunch of artists have used her hooks, though. Mm -hmm. Talib Kweli, um, Tribe Called Quest, a lot of their albums had her cuts on it. Yep. But um, the other one was uh, The Drop, the EDM culture explosion, because I'm a bit of an EDM freak. I don't know that um, one. But it's it's about the whole, like, where EDM came from. What is EDM for our listeners? Electronic name? dance music. So what, it's, what about IDM? I have no idea. Intelligent dance music. <laughs> That's her thing. Google is it. Is that really? Yeah. I got to check that out. But no, EDM, it's about where it came from, which is like this dark, dungeonous place to where it is now, where like every third person's like, oh, I'm listening to the Skrillex and all these things. Oh, like Daft Punk? Daft Punk. Who kind of turned their Punk. backs on EDM? Pretty much. Which is good. Yeah. But it was a pretty interesting rock deck. But I agree. A lot of Amy is another one. Yeah. That, that was the... the that Beatles... Where's that coming out this year or next year? I didn't think there was one on the Beatles this year. I think pretty much everything's been said about them that could be said. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, and there's but there's just been a lot of uh, really good rock docs. Yeah, I think it kind of started with uh, Sonic Highways that came out, I believe, last year. The the Dave Grohl uh, direct uh, the movie about the recording of Sonic Highways, the mm -hmm. Foo Fighters album, and he also did um, what was the movie um, Dave Grohl directed? About Sound City. Sound City. That's the one Which I made. Which is an excellent music Kylo's. documentary if you yes. get a chance to see that. I feel like that really kind of kicked this whole fad off. But if you even want to go back a couple of years, a rock doc that I absolutely love, and it's probably my favorite ever, is one called It Might Get Loud. 
and it's directed by David Guggenheim. Yeah. And it's about three guitarists from three different generations getting out, getting together, and kind of talking about their influences and everything. And the three guitarists it features are uh, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, The Edge of U2, and Jack White of The White Stripes, and his solo career. It's absolutely perfect. Phenomenal. It yeah. is awesome. I can I can attest to that. But again, good way to get introduced to documentaries. I, I like documentaries. You like documentaries. Yeah, not as much not as you. As much I think I've, I feel like I've been I've been behind a little bit the last couple of years on on documentaries. I've been behind lately because I've been just binge watching the multitude of potential award winning films. Oh, I know that's how I feel right now. Ugh. Is it bad to say I'm sick of watching movies? First, first world problems, man. <laughs> so the next thing is Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. I think we're, this is like the third or fourth generation that's been like, oh, they're getting back together. Yep. Probably not. I don't know. <laughs> I just don't, well, first of all, I don't really care all that much because I've, that's so mean to say, because I'm just not a big fan of Guns N' Roses in general. But like, this is a band that's disappointed their fans so many times in the last two decades that mm. I don't know why anybody cares. Even if they do this tour, Guns N' Roses... They're infamous for showing up hours late, playing half sets, walking off stage. Axl Rose is just full of himself. I've, I've just been seeing this trending on Facebook, and I've had friends saying they're so excited for Guns N' Roses to get back together, and I just don't get the appeal. I just don't get it. I, honestly, I don't understand it just based on the, the track record. Yeah. I mean, we saw a band in Madison, Death Grips, that was notorious for pulling this kind of stuff, and yeah. they showed up, but... Not at the same level, though. No, this is like... And they, they canceled, like, massive, massive tours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had it, like, over under 50%. I've got to say under that this even goes down. Yeah, but well, and, 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 and it's interesting because just in the last day or two, I read that they've already canceled some of their late-night TV show appearances. Mm -hmm. I just don't think these guys get along. I think it's kind of a hype thing. I don't know. I just don't care. I mean, to, yeah. to me, some things should just be left in the past. And a Guns N' Roses reunion just seems like too little too late. Just leave it go. Let's remember it for what it was. I don't know. Yeah. And they're like all like all good reunion tours. They're kicking off at Coachella, but I don't yeah. think that'll go down. you see down. Death Grips is playing there? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting spot. They probably won't show up because I, I, really, I think what their, their deal is they don't like playing festivals. I told you, man. The only reason they they did their last tour was because they needed money. Yeah. But anyways, if you guys don't know the band Death Grips, look them up. You might be terrified. Yeah. You'll either love them or hate them. <laughs> that's that's legitimately like a black and white thing. Either you're like not in race terms, but in like terms of yeah. you're either gonna like it or you're gonna be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm listening. They're to. an experimental hip hop band, to say the least. They are craziness. Yeah. But uh, anyways, we digress. We digress. So Jack White though. Yeah. Third Man Records releasing his early band music. So, like, his early in his career. Explain this. Because he was in... Okay, well, he was in a bunch of different uh, bands prior to the White Stripes who formed in 1996. And you got to keep in mind that his label is called uh, Third Man Records. And uh, he ha they have a basically a, f a monthly fan club called The Vault. The Vault Experience. And it's... I believe I'm a member because I'm I love Jack White. It's sixty bucks every couple of months. It's like two hundred and forty bucks a year, uh, and every time they release a new package, if you're a Vault 
subscriber, you get the package, and it's always some sort of collection of vinyl records. Sometimes it's an exclusive pressing of the new Jack White album, or the new, or some, recently it's been a string of uh, old White Stripes concerts that were recorded like in the early 2000s or late 90s and remastered. Um, so they just announced the other day that the next third band records package would be a collection of bands that Jack White was in either prior to or during the early stages of the White Stripes as a group. And they're releasing three different live performances from these groups recorded at a place called the Cass Corridor location. So it's kind of interesting that he's digging into his, his past because as a big fan of Jack White and kind of his history in third man records, um, while I appreciate getting his newer albums on vinyl, it's kind of fun to uh, hear his older stuff and to hear him... See where he came from. Yeah, and to, to hear what this is like because I know he was in a band called The Upholsterers um, prior to The White Stripes. I'm not really sure if that's one of the groups on here. I'm really just... I just want to hear what it's like if there's mm -hmm. any uh, different... Uh, types of sounds or anything that they're going through because the White Stripes were very much kind of a striped or stripped down blues rock, garage rock type band. But I know he had kind of dabbled in country and folk and very minimalistic blues music prior to that. So I'm hoping to kind of hear it. So, you know, if you like the White Stripes, definitely look into the Third Man Records vault thing because this next package yeah, sounds really interesting to me. It is. And at least from what I've heard, he's always been very like out like his music has always been somewhat ahead of its time and he's always been kind of it's weird because i agree his music is kind of ahead of its time but it's always elements of the past like the white stripes were a very simple group they used a guitar singing a piano it was raw i mean it was super raw but it somehow felt ahead of the time but it was using all these old school blues and rock elements he just has a weird ability to take old sensibilities and make them sound new it's mm. wacky it's totally wacky yeah that's a gift. So lots of stuff going on in the music world. Lots of stuff still going on in the movie world. Lots of stuff going on. I'm not going to lie. When I saw Black Star, I originally went to, to Live Quality most stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're re-releasing? And then, like, that, obviously that quickly went away. And then I saw, like, a headline, and I thought it said, Run the Jewels 2. RJ, RJ, whatever, mm -hmm. the little abbreviation. Yep. And it said re-release. And I was like, what, what? And then... It was like some other... RJD2? Yeah. Yep, I saw that today on Pitchfork, and I got all excited. I thought it was Run but the Jewels. But apparently, I did see that uh, Run the Jewels, they just started recording yep. Run the Jewels yep. 3, so... And if, if you guys don't know... A, like a selfie deal. Right, and yeah. if, if you guys don't know Run the Jewels, they're a, a hip-hop group from the, the, the independent artists LP and Killer Mike, and they're just the best <laughs> if you're good, into hip-hop and really good youtube stuff if you can go uh it's killer mike and uh, bernie sanders killer mike interviewed bernie sanders like it's the politician really, yeah really interesting uh -huh. really really interesting uh -huh. but on to obsessions ethan what are you obsessed with right now okay to ro roll it back a little bit to the whole jack white third man records thing i've been really obsessed with finding different ways to clean my records Last weekend, I used all of my Christmas money, and I bought like $150 worth of new records, some old, some new, but it basically caused me to look at my shelf of records and realize I had too many. So I went through them, and I have some older releases that are in very bad shape, and my first instinct is, oh, I'm never going to listen to it. I'm either going to sell it or just throw it away. But I have discovered through a Facebook group I'm on called Vinyl Discoveries and Google searches that there are crazy ways to try to revive the quality of a record. Even if you look at 
you know, a standard black 12-inch record, and it looks scratched up and dirty and you don't want to clean it, I've been looking up ways to try to restore them. And I tried one last week on an album that, if it didn't work on, it was okay because this is a potentially fatal way to clean a record. And they call this the wood glue treatment. Oh, you, yeah, you told me about yes, that. Yes, I tried this last weekend, and it worked to what? moderate success, but I... I can see why the people who taught me how to do it said for your first attempt to be on something you don't care about if you destroy it. Because basically what you do, if you have a record that's in horrible condition and you're like, this thing is scratch, it's never going to play, you can try this wood glue treatment if you want to see if it'll play good. And you basically take wood glue, pour it on the album, be, be very careful. It helps if it's actually on a turntable so it's spinning. Be very careful not to spill any glue anywhere take a credit card or an index card of some sort, spread the glue out evenly so there's no bubbles, there's no individual little pieces of glue anywhere because that's hard to get off, and you basically wait 24 to 48 hours and you peel the glue off. Kind of like a film. And it totally sucks everything off. Now, I was kind of afraid because I'm thinking, wood glue, I mean, that's going to bind to it and destroy it. Yes and no. The whole idea is if you have all of the glue on one continuous layer, once it dries, it peels off very evenly, but you kind of have to find the right way to peel it off or you have to make sure that um, you have the glue even because if it doesn't dry even, if you pull it off too soon, you're going to have wet glue and you're going to end up with little pockets of glue still stuck in the grooves of the record, which is what happened to me because I didn't wait long enough. But it cleaned the rest of the record like perfectly. Like, this was an old album that looked like garbage, but it looked practically brand new except for a couple spots. So that's one of the couple ways I'm trying to figure out how I can restore some old records, because searching through used bins and stuff is a blast, and sometimes I take a record out of its sleeve and it's in just horrible condition, and I'm like, well, that's a shame, just kind of toss it away, but it's like, no, 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 these things shouldn't be ignored, there's ways to clean them. So that's what I'm obsessed with. Sorry if that was long. No, that's, that was, I was very interested to hear how that worked because the wood glue thing was kind of... It's out there. It's crazy. You use wood glue to clean it. It's not something sh- you'd... No, I showed my dad that because they came over to visit on Sunday and the day before I had put a layer of glue on this record. And I'm like, Dad, check this out. And he was mortified. He's like, you put glue all over that record. What are you doing? And then I explained it to him and he was like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. It was funny. So what about you? Well, I've got kind of a multitude of obsessions. I'm obsessed with two albums right now that I've been listening to in pretty high rotation. One is, it's a long title, it's Pusha T, King Push, Dash, Darkest Before Dawn, Double Comma, The Prelude. I just put that on my phone this morning and I didn't get a chance to listen to it It's not the greatest, but it's just a good, solid, kind of core hip-hop album. I like that guy. Very, it's just, it's nice, it's almost minimalistic in a way compared to what the rest of the hip hop world's doing. Cool. Uh, the other one is Kid Ink, Summer in the Winter. I saw the title, I saw the cover, I was like, this is gonna suck. And then I listened to it, and it, it actually kind of popped up and surprised me. It does drag in spots, but. I've never listened to that guy. There's like, there's one album, or not one album, one song called. Um, it's with it's featuring Akon, I think. I haven't looked at uh, this is how how many times I haven't even listened like seen who's featured, but I think it's featuring Akon. Could be a hit, hmm. but really good album, and it kind of popped up out of nowhere. When you said Kid, I thought you were gonna say Kid Cudi in his Kid new Cudi. album Speed and Bullets to Heaven. Have you heard about that thing no. at all? 
I oh saw it. My I think I Lord. might have downloaded it. You have to look this thing up. It is the worst album ever recorded. That sounds like an album of the week. Everybody, go <laughs> no. Everybody Google the album Kid Cudi, Speeding Bullet to Heaven. This is a hip-hop artist who is kind of known as kind of being a little out there. He was in the entourage. You will not believe this thing. It is like a grunt. It's not even hip-hop. It's like a grunge rock album that sounds like he... I don't even know what to... It, it sounds like he's moaning into the microphone for like an hour and a half and strumming a guitar. It is the worst thing I've ever heard. And I thought you were going to say that was the album you were into and I was about to get up and walk out of this room. No. Kid Ink, he's had a couple good songs that I've liked in the past. I've never really listened to his albums in full and I listened to this one and I was... Very surprised. I saw that on uh, Apple Music. I almost gave it a listen. So yeah. I'll uh, put that on Give it on a my... shot. Yeah. And as far as the movie's realm goes, I'm obsessed with the movie The Forest right now. Like the new horror movie? The new movie? horror movie with Natalie Dormer. The, bad, the horror bad guys look totally corny. But the whole concept is really interesting in terms of this. It's the Aoki Gahara Forest, which is apparently in Japan. If you're mm -hmm. going to commit suicide, you go to this forest and there's a really interesting vice documentary I, I on youtube that. about it i've watched that two times now but it's it just seems like an interesting concept and i can see why she attached herself to it yeah that whole forest is creepy there's actually another movie that premiered at um uh i think it was sundance or con film festival last year directed by gus van zandt with mike mm -hmm. uh with uh, matthew mcconaughey in it that was set in the same forest and i'm just trying to figure out what it was called because i heard that wasn't very good Ooh, it was called the sea of trees because that's what it's called that's it's japanese name. right and yeah. that place seems creepy to me and actually no, the trailer for the forest i agree with you while December's kind of a scary month. I'm sorry, January's kind of a scary month to go see movies in the theater because it's kind of a dumping ground. But I'm a huge horror movie fan, and that forest freaks me out. So I actually kind of want to see that too. Might be in the might be in the rotation. Could be. It comes out like tomorrow. Pretty soon. Yeah. I might go see it. But it, it just just the whole concept behind it and that the vice. If you get a chance, go on YouTube again, and after you watch the Killer Mike interview of Bernie Sanders, you can watch. This this vice thing because the guy there's the guy goes on a tour and he's like, yeah he's like a park ranger who specifically goes into this forest to try to talk people out of killing themselves, mm -hmm. and he talks about how there's different colored, um, like ribbons that people string to trees so you can follow the ribbons and like one color means they're thinking about killing themselves, one color means they're pretty sure they're going to, and one color means like you're gonna find a body at the end of this. Mm -hmm. It's freaky man, it freaked me out watching that. And there are all these like abandoned cars in the parking lot and he's like, oh this car and this car, like you didn't come back to it and oh. that's, it's crazy but I, the whole concept seems really neat and yeah. it might suck. Yeah. Natalie Dormer's kinda hot. I can't picture her off the top of my head. Game of Thrones marries, um... Oh! The prince, she's kind of got a bitch king. face. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The gay dude, right? Who gets spoilers killed in yep. season two? Okay. Yep. Sure. Spoilers! <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> no, but that's uh, that's what I'm obsessed about. Okay. Cool. That's a lot of so things, that's, man. That's, yeah. I'm going to check out both those albums for sure. Those are, and honestly... I think more so push a tease album. Why like I said, I downloaded that this morning and I just didn't get a chance to listen to it. It's today. just good core hip hop. Not the crap you usually get, but Sweet. This has been the Outlaw episode. It's good stuff, yeah. Yeah. Hateful Eight, Chris Stapleton. Man. Good stuff. Good episode. And if you like this, please, please, please like us on Facebook. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Weekly Neurosis. Just search us. Um, I think we're coming out with our best of 2015 uh, episode. Hopefully in the next week. Next week, mid-January. Yes. We'll say mid-January. Because we don't want to wait too long, but there's a couple movies we want to see yet before we do our 10 best. Uh, in, in one episode, we'll do movies and albums. Yep. So 10 best of both of those. So, you know, hopefully you guys either agree with us or find some stuff you can check out. They're just like, fuck these guys. And that's, that's the end of it. And then we'll be doing probably our first obsession, our first edition of our what we're calling our obsessions episode, where we're just going to both pick a movie, pick an album, something we just geek out about. Yeah. And we're going to do it. But look us up, follow us, like us, comment on the episode. If you think something sucks or you like something, we, yes. we love feedback. Yeah, we're new at this, so we're, you know, I think we're, our, our cadence is picking up as we record these, but, you know, we definitely want to make sure we're, we're doing things people want to hear. And anyone who comments on our Facebook page, I will read it at the intro of a section. Yeah. I don't care what you say. <laughs> okay. Anything. Okay. Except for you. You can't say it because you're... Dang it. So anything, anything that you want, Facebook-like comment. Anyways, Weekly Neurosis, the Outlaw episode. We are done. Have fun, everybody.